Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze. The one nature herself drapes in the hills and hollers. Inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. The tall tales. The true stories. And the current goings-on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in the summer. Well, howdy. This is Frank Jones, your host for the Brown County Hour. This episode is dedicated to the beautiful fall colors that blanket the hills in the surrounding area. Our show tonight, we've got some really good musical entertainment set up with a real-time string band, Scott Freed, and we've got an interview with a little bit of playing going on with Robert Shaw and Eric Brown. It's a Red Barn Jamboree. They've got an Elvis show along with the Johnny Cash show going on over there that seems to be pretty entertaining because, by golly, it's always packed. We'd like to start the program off today with a word from our friend Pete Siebert from the Brown County Historical Society. Hello, folks, and welcome to Brown County, Indiana, located on the edge of the village forest in the Hoosier State of Mind near the heart of the universe. Our theme this show, fall, autumn, that time of the year Mother Nature dresses up in her finest and struts best in these hills, hollows, and takes us in out at the state park and the nooks and crannies and cabins and places we call home. The Brown County History Center answers the question, what's the difference between then and now? Those are sandhill cranes. Their calls happen in the fall around here as they circle overhead, then head south to central Florida. Fall started a long time before the Model T and the Model A started coming here to see leaf colors. The first groups came here many years ago. They were the Shawnee, Pawnee, Miami and Delaware, the woodland people coming here to gather. They gathered nuts, berries, hunted deer and bear to survive the winter. Surely they paused to breathe in the beauty, especially the full moon nights. Fall foretold survival or long days looking for food even in the snow. The next group were the pioneers from Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina. They were looking for a homestead place to grow corn, to grow children, to grow villages as part of founding Indiana's part of this entire United States of America. Fall was harvest, and the pioneer woman would surely pause in her own yard and breathe in the ripe fruit fragrance of grape, of apple, pear, peaches, She could hear the crackle of the dry brown stalks of corn as her boys ran through the field carrying water to her husband who was husking the ears of corn. Fall meant plenty on the table all year or lean times for her family. The artist arrived here in 1907 looking for places to paint and on the budget plan. This third invasion of Brown County was encouraged by Mandy and Bill Pittman at the Pittman Inn 
and the Nashville House fed these artists and people for $7 a week and a bed with great porches and other artists for company. Artists painted in the open air. They wanted to paint landscapes, the traditional American art. They had seen the other arts of great countries when they were in Munich and Paris and London. Autumn inspired, challenged, and meant success at the gallery or the Hoosier Salon if they captured the impression that moment in time made on them as they walked out Bearwalla Hill. Now began for modern folks back in 1910 also. Soon after these artists arrived, and Abe Martin began telling people anybody who's romantic about farming and pioneering ain't never done it. Cars backed up 10 miles north to Morgantown. 14 miles east to Columbus. They packed the roads and sidewalks and galleries and hillsides early from 1910 to the 50s. We purchased a hilltop and a cabin east of Nashville. But we came with our daughter to prevent the loss of wonder in our lives and to avoid the cynicism that hides its practicalness under the hurry and bustle of a growing city like Indianapolis in the 1920s. Whenever we left for our cabin and headed south, we looked at each other and said, Drink your eyes full. I wrote a poem about our place in Brown County called A Purchase Made. When nature, that famous artist, dips her brushes in various colored paints, when wahoo, bittersweet, and shumac flout their colors along wooded lanes, when hickory's gold and gum tree's scarlet make hillsides and valley aflame, tis then that we wander down to our hills of brown and fill our souls with its beauty of haze, its deep blue beauty of haze. Drink your eyes full. Fall often means for people in the Midwest a trip to Brown County or to their local orchard, but it always means a trip to the store because fall is all year round there. This segment's been brought to you by the Brown County History Center and all the things done by the Brown County Historical Society. How do you get to Brown County? Slow down, look around, and lighten up. Well, thank you, Pete and Julie. And now we have Susan Showalter interviewing some folks from the Real Time String Band. Let's hear from them. For the Brown County Hour radio show, I'm Brown County artist Susan Showalter. Brown County's own real-time string band just released their first CD in August featuring 12 songs. Listen as I talk with one of the band's founders, Dan Harden. But first, let's listen to a little of Away From You. I can feel the law moving in. Seems like trouble's the only place I've ever been. I've moved around for most of my life. Hiding from bad luck, darkness, and strife. I've done some things that can't be undone. Seems like there's one place I can never run that's back to you. Like 
Chris wrote that. Uh, he's a good songwriter, eh? It's got a uh, E minor tuning to it, which is sort of a dark tune, and we call it Murder, Death, Kill. It's dark. <laughs> it's perfect for this time of year. Tell me about Chris. And Do you he, know how he got started playing music? Yeah, we converted him. <laughs> he was mainly like a folky type singer, but now he's a true blue bluegrass boy. But that's how he got started, and we've been best friends, and we decided a few years ago that we weren't getting any younger. we got to play with each other, so that's how it all started. When did you first pick up an instrument? Twelve years old. I saw my great uncle over at a family reunion, and he played the old claw hammer style banjo. Yeah. And I saw it, and I looked at my dad, and I looked at my mom, and I said, what is that? What's he playing? My, he said, it's a banjo. And I said, Daddy, i got to have one of them. That's how I got started, and then I took lessons from my really good friend, Dave Hedrick. He had a real big influence on me. And then he sent me to Roger Smith, who played fiddle and guitar with Monroe. Wow. And I learned from him. And then Roger said, that's enough. You just need to go play. And he said, you're going to lift five miles from Bean Blossom, boy, go play. And that's, <laughs> how, that's how it started. How's the new album going? Really Came good. out with an album, I think you said. Yeah, August released. 2nd. It's going real well. What do you think inspires you the most to, to do your music? Well, I would say I love to play. I mean, I was born to play, but probably inspires me most is just, there's a lot of great musicians in this county. Right. And I've been inspired by a bunch of them, like Dave Gore and, and Robbie Bowden, and you know, a lot of those guys, we grew up here in them too, but we live so close to Bean Blossom, I've heard all the great players play, all of them, everywhere from Monroe to Stanley to Reno to all the new bands, and, and a lot of them, like Skaggs and Whitley, we grew up playing with them. The first show that they played was at Bean Blossom Barn with Ralph Stanley. Grew up with the music. And there's no better place 
in a world of bean blossoms. That is a great influence, people around here. I think it's kind of a well-kept secret that there are just as many wonderful musicians here as there are artists, You're painters. Exactly right. Yeah, we've been sort of ignored. And it's a variety too. A great it's variety. A, a of great music. variety of highly talented you musicians. We got There's those some, yeah. Sanderson family up. Yeah, yeah, it's a great fiddle player. Yeah, he is. And you have great writers here too, like Barry Johnson that lives up around Lake Lemon. Right. He's got songs out down at Nashville and with Larry Cordell, one of the great songwriters in Nashville, Tennessee. And then we've got jazz artists too. Yes, I we mean, do. A lot of and Robbie Bowden and Dave Gore. I mean, what else can you say about them? Fabulous guys. Long time ago when they had the string being string that was, band, that was, my husband and I at our own show. We interviewed Brown County artists. Then we did the, no, that string bean string band. They were a great band. We taped them over at the Old Hickory. Yeah. I think it might have been John Sisson came passed out kazoos. <laughs> and we all played kazoos with the band. That was yeah. so much fun. Are your folks musicians? As a matter of fact, the song Pine Mountain is about my grandpa that was a coal miner. Dad okay. wrote that song about him. <laughs>
Well, your dad did a great job writing that music. Do you have any idea what inspired him? Yeah, his father-in-law, he was a coal miner down in Kentucky, and my dad and my grandfather were pretty close. He wanted to write a tribute to my grandpa because he died of black lung in 1967. That's a wonderful tribute to your grandfather. So we'll be playing at the Bushman's? It'll be October 29th. October 29th. Mm -hmm. And what time would that be? 8 o'clock. Country Club Road, where I grew up at, there on the Country Club Road, like going back home. And what is your website address? Yeah, it's www.realtimestringband. We'll hear more from the Real Time String Band later on in the program. And now, some original poetry, read by Brown County's own Trisha Bach. But first, here's Trisha describing her creative process. I think probably the basic inspiration for most of what I write is nature, people as well. My favorite author's quote is by Henry James, which is a writer is someone on whom nothing is lost. And I think that that pretty much sums it up. The tiniest little things can create a poem just basically out of thin air. I have a lot of people that say to me, you know, gosh, when I read that, I was just right there with you on that trail, or I was just, I was there in the moment. And that's exactly, you know, what I hope to do is is share that experience that I have with others. And now here's Tricia reciting her poem, Autumn Morning. Sunlight filters through the forest that I know. Autumn will be blowing in and summer has to go. But gentle mornings say goodbye to summer's shades of green. And cooler nights and shorter days bring leaves and Halloween. We revel in these days and bask in the golden glow with memories of times we've shared and loved ones that we know. Listen for the cricket's melodies and hear the dripping dew. For soon the silence of winter will erase all these things too. Thank you, Trish. We'll have more from her later on in the program. Well, some of you may have had the pleasure of catching the show over at the Red Barn Jamboree. They have the Man in Black show with Johnny Cash and the Elvis show with the King himself. Those are brought to you by our friends Robert Shaw and Eric Brown that Pam Rader had the opportunity to interview. Here's a little bit of what they've said. This is Pam Rader, and I'm with the Brown County Radio Hour, and I'm here with Robert Shaw and Eric Brown, who've been performing the Elvis and Johnny Cash show out of the Red Barn Jamboree. Robert, you told me you were from Memphis, Indiana the other night, and uh, did that influence uh, you getting into Elvis, or how did that (laughs) come about? I wish I could say so. That makes for a good story. But... uh, no, that, that the geography didn't actually have anything to do with it. Uh, it was just turn of events. I was involved in theater. I've always been around music, come from a musical family, and I always thought Elvis was cool, but I can't, unfortunately, blame the geography. <laughs> well, the other night I caught the Johnny Cash show, and right. I was really entertained. It was great. And if I closed my eyes... You were Johnny Cash. (laughs) So did you have to do a lot of uh, practice to get the voices of both characters down? Yeah, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially Johnny Cash. Elvis comes a little more naturally to me, I I think, just because he he naturally used good vocal technique. I mean, he he was a good singer. So, you know, anybody with a little training can kind of emulate that sound. But with Johnny Cash, it's almost like you have to throw all that out the window and just... Because he, his voice is so unique. Like I, 
nobody sounds remotely like Johnny Cash. That's Except why I was John kind Wayne. of surprised that you <laughs> did <laughs> John Wayne. John Wayne and Johnny Cash have similar vocal mannerisms, but uh, which is helpful actually in, in getting the sound. Yeah. And a lot of it's listening to myself trying to just really hone in uh-huh. on the sound. It's so just, you had a great backup band with you as yeah. well, and Eric, he's the guitar player from and How did you all get together? I've been doing Elvis and Johnny Cash for about six years now, and I have a band in Arizona. That's where we got started with the whole thing. And over the last three or four years, we've been making inroads trying to kind of crack the Midwest market. Since I'm from here, we thought it'd be nice to come out here and have an Indiana band so that I wouldn't have to fly out all the guys from Arizona every time we want to put on a show. Uh, (laughs) That, and also since this is a a semi-permanent installation here, you know, I I wanted local guys that could really contribute and pour Mm -hmm. a lot into it. And so we held auditions, and um, Eric actually... It was kind of a fluke that he came in because he wasn't scheduled on the auditions. And uh, our bass player, the guy that ended up getting the job, incidentally, actually suggested Eric. And Eric emailed me, what, like a day or two before? Well, yeah, Ron Kadish, who's the bass player, uh, emailed me Wednesday. Auditions started on Saturday. So I basically had to beg Robert to let me <laughs> come in. Uh, I'm the guy. I love him. So much. <laughs> Please. Because I travel a lot, so we had the schedule's really tight, you know, and it's like, okay. Decided to squeeze a man, fortunately. <laughs> and, and Eric, you've loved Elvis since you were little, you oh, said. Oh, yeah. Before I could talk. You know, really? Eight tracks records. I had, you know, uh, my dad had them all. Well, and Johnny Cash, but, you know, particularly Elvis. I'm a huge uh, fan. guys sure do catch the essence of who those performers were it's a great show if you haven't had a chance you should stop out and see it and that show will be running through november you can pick tickets up at the brown county visitor center at the door or redbarnjamboree.com it's time to pause for a station identification And now our nature segment with Kaylee Witt, Walking with Nature. Brown County is a place of superlatives. In Indiana, it is Brown County that has the most forest, the best views to see autumn leaves, and the largest state park. 
Adding to that prestige, we are now home to the state's largest nature preserve. The 10 o'clock line nature preserve is located within the boundaries of Brown County State Park. Jim Eagleman, head naturalist of the park, explains why the area has received this status. And the reason for designation of a nature preserve is some unique quality connected to it, geologic or natural um, feature. And over the years, um, as momentum picked up on the interest of this parcel of the southwestern portion of the park. Over the years, it was revealed to us through our natural heritage database that we had some unique things there. Um, bobcats were sighted. We know we have timber rattlesnake dens, and they're an endangered species in Indiana. So is the yellowwood tree, a state endangered species, and that occurred there. Uh, Indiana bats live in that section and they are a federally listed endangered species. So all of these unique features, bonuses, if you will, um, cause some um, added attention be placed here. And so our ecologists from the Division of Nature Preserves uh, stepped up their surveying and inventorying of this place and found that not only did it include a pretty good chunk of land in the southwest portion of the park, uh, but true to nature preserve philosophy, it could still be accessible um, with trails. And we wanted people to get in there and enjoy these natural features. 3,339 acres of the park have been set aside for preserve status. Forest habitat for species like the whippoorwill and the broad-winged hawk. So what is the exact legal process of making this a nature preserve? Well, it's already state park land, uh, so there's nothing really needed uh, in addition to, to that other than the designation, the official designation by the Natural Resources Commission. And our nature, nature preserves personnel go before the commission and make their proposal and say why it's important and, and why should they include it in, in their um, property listings of nature preserves. And so the, the uh, presentation included these species that are included there, and the resources, resource, Natural Resources Commission uh, already knew of it, having been briefed ahead of time of what was there. And so they really rely on the expertise of our ecologists to say, this is why it's in, important, Mr. Commissioner. So um, that, that process took... Uh, several months of discussion and a couple meetings and then it was another uh, new item on their agenda so it came up for a vote and uh, it authorized establishment of the largest nature preserve in the dnr system and they called it the 10 o'clock line nature preserve uh, within brown county state park the preserve also commemorates a piece of indiana history <laughs> the 10 o'clock line nature preserve is the official name Kaylee, and it is uh, listed because it's the 10 o'clock treaty line uh, that takes uh, that took place there uh, back in the early 1800s. It was a treaty line between William Henry Harrison and the Native Americans of the area. And when William Henry Harrison and his representatives met with the Native Americans, they were Shawnee and Piankashaw and Delaware tribes. The 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 story goes that the the meeting place took took place in the forest at 10 a.m. in the morning, and the line, I don't know if it's mutually agreed upon, but the line designated 
was the line cast by this big white oak tree that the shadow of the sun's um, casting on the land was the the treaty line, and it cuts through southern Indiana from a from a um, southeast um, point to the northwest point through our southern half of Indiana. And historians will know the ten o'clock line. It's a commemorative hiking trail here in the county, uh, starting at uh, Flag of the Nations. Folks can walk the ten o'clock line that for the most part follows the treaty line. It cuts through Brown County State Park down in our southwest corner. So the tree line cutting through the preserve, owing to its historic significance, now its natural significance, uh, the name was applied. Jeremy Sobecki, assistant property manager at the park, explains how nature preserve status affects the park. It basically just means that there's no, not going to be any major development in the area. Um, no, no more horse trails. No more, uh, you know, items that. It, it basically protects that area from ever being developed as a campground or as a as a as a big development. So um, that that's what that means for the park is we can develop other areas. Through, through means of site change requests and stuff like that, but the nature preserve will be a protected area that, that will not have a lot more development through it. Access to the public will still be allowed. Horse trails are located already in that southwest quadrant, and they will remain open to equestrian riders. Hikers can have access to the preserve from Trail 9, which is at the end of Taylor Ridge Campground. Um, we ask that it's only uh, campers that proceed past the camper booth, but now that the trail is there and we understand hikers will want to um, access the nature preserve, we'll give them a, a clearance card, I suspect, that the camper booth that they can hang on their mirror that says they're not camping, just hiking. So they'll proceed from the camper booth by the recreation building in the campground entrance, uh, back on the uh, blacktop road to the very end of Taylor Ridge Campground, park near the last shower house at the trailhead to trailhead number nine, and pick up the access trail into the preserve. So the, the hikers will be getting into a little part of the northern quadrant. The horsemen have access from the southwest part as it joins other trails coming from the horsemen's campground. While preserve status for this area is already established, an official dedication is being planned. Preliminary talk for the spring of 2011 of a dedication of that nature preserve. Uh, there's not a date yet yet set, but but there will be a dedication. There'll be a just a, a, a kind of a get together out there at the site, and and we'll unveil the the sign. For more information on Brown County State Park, go to browncountystatepark.us. Bird calls are courtesy of Jeff Keller. For the Brown County Hour, I'm Kaylee Witt, Walking with Nature. Thank you, Kaylee. That was very nice. And now we have Pete Siebert 
with the dean of the Brown County Tall Tale, Steve Miller. Halloween, that time of the year when uh, spooks, spells, haints, and stories are floating in the air. And here beside of me is one of those who knows those stories of Brown County. Steve Miller, tell us a story. Hey, Pete. Thank you. Um, well, this is a story that I'm not sure many people know. It's kind of interesting that uh, my grandfather told me. Uh, my dad's uh, dad, you know, that had Miller's Pharmacy in the 1920s here in Nashville. And so it was Halloween night that day. The men had gathered at the liar's bench. My grandfather was there, and they were playing horseshoes and whittling and telling tales about their dogs and their moonshine recipes and barbershop, great voices, and having, just entertaining themselves, just having a great old time like they had. But this was a particular night where the wind had turned out of the north, and there was a chill and little frost that they were talking about tonight and they were all you know kind of talking about persimmon seeds and caterpillar coats and all that and they were kind of warning ah this could be a cold night and the start of the you know the fall and so forth so what then they all disappeared you know he said oh they there's bloof and felix and chris and Nuck and Bummer and all these affectionate nicknames. They all headed off to Scarcefat and Bear Wallow and Stony Lonesome and all these great names that the original settlers had named, each valley and hill and so forth. So it was a great time. But what had happened is the state had told all the locals that they were buying land out at Weed Patch Hill to make a game preserve so that they could hunt and wouldn't have to pay taxes. And just before that, the locals had found out that the state had been lying to them. And they were really going to make a state park for the tourists coming down from Indianapolis and, you know, for the people that had money. And the, the locals were threatened that the state was taking over the place. And that's why they came here, is to get away from industrial society and government rules. And they... They were doing battle. They were holding court right there on the liar's bench. Well, the women saw that this was the spell of the blind tiger. Something about that liar's bench held a spell. And it happened that almost the week that the liar's bench was published by Hohenberger, and it became famous nationally. Their stories became better. And the, they they couldn't resist coming to town and not doing their chores. Yeah. And their wives were getting angrier. And it all built up to Halloween night, 1929. And the women had devised a scheme to end this period. And they dressed up in costume, in their handmade costumes with their bonnets and their boots, and they came and gathered at the town well, waited till all the kids and the trick-or-treaters had kind of gone away and it became quiet, and they dragged the liar's bench out in the middle of town, and they pulled out their hatchets that they had brought with them, and they had a chopping bee. Mm. Not a quilting bee, <laughs> but a chopping bee. And then what was so Great. What my grandfather told me is that how they did it without getting caught, they had put in their handmade dresses squirrel tails and rabbit fur, and to because they knew they could dip their moccasin, little handmade shoes, in their pockets and get that scent, and then they could go down by the pump and go towards Blood Alley and out by Greasy Creek, and they knew that the men would probably get their dogs and want to know who did it and try to track them. But they could throw them off, and they did. Nobody ever 
tracked them home and the women got away with it. And that was the night that the women broke the spell of the liar's bench, the spell of the blind tiger. And I thought it was a great Halloween story, a true story. Oh, yeah. That really happened right here in Nashville. And my grandfather happened to be there the next day. And when they said, they all looked at it and said, it's really bad. And then somebody else said, it's worse than bad. And finally, Veen or Nuck or one of them said, it's the ruination of everything. And actually, they propped the pieces of the liar's bench up against the courthouse. They never played another horseshoe game. And that was the truth. Hmm. That was what broke that whole period of the 20s. The state park was formed, and I thought it was an interesting Halloween story. Oh, my. Happy Halloween, Steve. Thanks, Pete. I had a great time. Looking forward to doing it again. Take care. You know, I always wondered what happened to that bench, and now we know. Thank you, Steve. And now, one of our resident poets, Gunther Flum, reading The Ghost of Nobbon. It wasn't Halloween we feared when goblins, witches all appeared, but through the forest and the glen, the ghost of Nobbon rose again. Why, I remember as a child hearing cries out in the wild, the ghost of Gnawbone run and hide, lock your doors and stay inside, for if by chance the ghost is seen, then this is your last Halloween. It didn't bother children, though, for Halloween them kids could go, all dressed up in some disguise, hidden from the Gnawbone's eyes, and so the children get away, but only on that special day, for only then upon the street could all them kids go trick-or-treat. For if that ghost knew who you were, you would disappear for sure. So families keep their children close and give them candies for the ghost, since all the parents all get scared, hoping that their lives are spared. For Nawbone's ghost will cause a fright in your mom and dad that night, and only candy in your sack will make the Nawbone's ghost go back. I tell you, that about scared the fillings right out of my teeth. Both of them. Why, thank you, Gunther. You know, there's a lot of artists in Brown County. There's a lot of them in Nashville, but there's sure a bunch of them scattered out all over the woods. And we have Brown County Hour's Susan Showalter to walk us through some of these studios. This is Brown County artist Susan Showalter. I'm on the Back Roads Tour in Brown County, heading up Brand Hollow Road to visit Joe and Peggy Henderson. They are among the artists featured at 15 different sites on the annual tour. If you'd like a map that will take you through the beautiful Brown County woods, visit www.browncountystudiotour.com. Let's see if anybody's home. Anybody home? Right there. Joe's following me in. How are you? We're good. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Beautiful day. Yes. Yeah, dry as can be, but I guess not much we can do about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the tour? We've only personally been involved for the last possibly three, four years, but mm-hmm. it's been going on quite a bit longer than that. Started with the June tour, and then they've added the fall tour. Some of the sites have a guest artist, I think. Right. And Is Peggy doing the beautiful silk scarves? She just started doing that this last uh, couple of months. In Wonderful. Fact, she's in the middle of doing one in the house there. I love <laughs> that orange and green one, and then the yeah. blue and she's purple. Really, and Yeah, she's really good for picking out complementary colors and putting things together like that. Yep. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about what you make, Joe. Mm-hmm. Well, I do... Uh, Sculptural wooden clocks primarily for the gallery here. I do some custom furniture also and cabinets and 
for the tour and art shows, I do kind of a free-form sculpture, a little clock that we live out in the woods here, so I have a lot of wood around. I can uh, go out and harvest wood from uh, fallen trees and cut it down to size with a chainsaw and bring it into the shop and advance a lot of curved shapes. Some of them are kind of stylized animals and birds, uh, but they all have a, a clock insert in them somewhere, and that makes it functional. Seem, people seem to like that. They're beautiful. What well, kind of you. woods do you have here? Primarily the woods that grow around here, walnut, cherry, some spalted maple is a, probably the most popular wood, a hard maple that gets a fungus that grows in it and makes some really interesting patterns. Most local woods, I get a few uh, burls from uh, a veneer plant that have been real popular too, some redwood burl and of course the figured woods and that's what really sells my work is the interesting woods and the neat grains and all the unusual grains around the knots and things that make it and the, I love the floor clock I haven't seen you do floor clocks before uh, yeah I don't do too many once in a while I do one just as a kind of a showpiece to catch people's eyes or walking past a show and, well that it uh, does yeah. <laughs> yeah. beautiful well thank you well how did you get started in wood well when I came to Brown County I think I was splitting firewood for my dad building a house and he was heating his house with wood, and I just splitting firewood, I think, is what really got me interested in wood, seeing mm-hmm. that fresh, clean grain when you first split the wood. And yeah. uh, that just kind of intrigued me with the material. And I, pretty much right from that, I started carving spoons and bowls. And yeah, I've done that all along, but uh, I've gone on doing some other things. And it's probably been 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Started out doing some carpentry work then, too. And I kind of picked up a little bit of that from my dad. He, so that kind of came natural. And for, When did you come to Brown County? I was thinking it was about 1977 or 78. It was that winter of the big blizzard, I oh, remember. Okay. I'd been living down in Texas, down in Houston and Dallas, and I'm just glad to get back to Indiana. I, and, I, yeah, I really felt at home in Brown County, and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to go anywhere else, I don't think. Yeah. And you built this nice little gallery. It's got a brick floor and beautiful walls. The, the shelves and all are very sculptural, made out of the local woods here, just like Joe's clocks. So go ahead and tell us about Peggy. We started out mostly with basket work and has gotten away from that now and doing more jewelry than anything. And she's got some beautiful gourds here, I see. Yeah, yeah she, she likes really likes doing the gourds, uh, some kind of intricate patterns that she burns on the gourd. Are these sort of Native American techniques or, or that looks sort of Native uh, American to me? Well, they're definitely some of the designs are related to Native American designs. Mm-hmm. And she's always admired the Southwest and the Indian Native designs. And so, so yeah, a lot of that influence. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Do you have a website, Joe? No, we don't. Uh, just an email address. Okay, what is your email address? H. Joe Henderson at att.net. Okay. And if people want to come out and visit you, what do they need to do to arrange that? During October and most of the year, we're, our hours are 10 to 10 till 5, I guess. Uh, October, we're we're always here, but off-season's better to call first, take a little time off in the winter. And What's your phone number? Phone number here is uh, area code 812-988-0223. Okay. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate you letting me stop by today. And oh, you're welcome. Yeah, this is Susan Showalter for Brown County Hour. We are glad you joined us. Stop out and see Joe and Peggy in their gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. Thanks for the tour, Susan. It's time to pause for a station identification.
Let's have Trisha Bach back again, and I think the one she's going to be reading for us now is All Hallows' Eve. All Hallows' Eve, the moon is on the rise. The reaping of souls tonight knows no compromise. Some will go willingly, some will be taken. Regardless of timing, none will be forsaken. The indifferent moon shines light on all below. As the pale, dead-eyed people come and then go. Pumpkins all carved glow from within. Large and luminous with smiles full of sin. Witches cast spells on those in their way. The undead will rise and tonight have their say. Black cats will hunt and banshees will scream. As an owl brings the message, Happy Halloween. Thank you, Trish. You know, Brown County's not all about banjos and fried biscuits and beautiful scenery. That's a lot of it, and that's a pretty nice piece of it, but there's a lot of other stuff going on down here. Our friend Pam Rader has an interview now with Dave Bartlett of the Community Resource Center that really helps us expand our minds down here in the woods. This is Pam Rader. I'm here with Dave Bartlett from the Community Resource Center. Dave, I know you offer community-oriented classes. Tell me a little about those. We have classes, Pam, that are open to any residents in Brown County that they can sign up for. We have a variety of computer classes we offer. They're mostly basics all the way from the beginning operation of a computer through accessing the Internet and using Microsoft Office products like Word and Excel. We also have an American Sign Language class that we're offering to the community, and that includes teachers from Brown County schools that are in the special ed program. We also have uh, classes offered by people Within the community, we have a bird calling class that we offer in the spring. That's with Jeff Keller, a well-known expert in that field. We also have classes on genealogy, and we're really looking to expand this program into even more areas. We're beginning a solar energy class. Uh, That's a new program and one that we're very excited about, and we hope to offer more classes in the uh, green technology areas. Now, if I understand it right, any citizen can go in and get on one of your computers free of charge and they're high speed for instance they could download our show is that correct that is correct pam and there's a lot of people that come into our facility and use it simply for the broadband access they check email they communicate with people they do trainings other than what we offer we we also have several community organizations that use our site as a meeting place our facility is open and can be reserved if need be we have several rooms that are available and people can sign up for those rooms if they let us know in advance. I know citizens are voting on a referendum in November. Tell me a little about that and your future plans. Yes, we are on the ballot in November for a one-cent tax referendum property tax to basically fund about half of our operation. We're currently raising about half of our revenue needs. We have a $220,000 budget. We raise $95,000 of that. And what we're looking for is a foundation that will help us sustain our program at its current level. So we are asking uh, for votes on that. We have lots of people who are supporting us. We have many people in the community who have benefited from our 
program. Almost 600 people have completed one or more of our programs. And we think it's a great community resource, and we want it to continue in the fashion that the community has become accustomed to. Thanks, Dave. It sounds like it ought to be called the Community Resource Center. How could people find more information? All of our class information is on the front counter at 246 East Main Street. You can call in at 988-5880. In terms of being a community resource, I think that is a good way of looking at it because we do look to serve the entire community. And we welcome people into our facility. And I think once you meet our staff and you see the resources that we have there, I think you'll really enjoy your experience there. And if you're looking to further your education, please come and see us. Thank you for coming in today, Dave. This is Pam Rader. I've been interviewing Dave Bartlett about the Career Resource Center that is going to be a referendum on our ballot November 2nd. Thank you, Pam and Dave. That was very informative. And now we have another one of Brown County's own resident poets, Keith Kelly, reading The Autumn Garden. In May and June, we rototill the soil to powder, fence with chicken netting strung on eight steel posts, plant tidy rows of corn, potatoes, onions, green beans, peas, tomatoes, pumpkins, and a cornucopia of herbs, rosemary, thyme, oregano, and border it all with lovely marigolds. In June and July we hoe, weed, and garnish our table with lettuce, green onions, and snow peas. Then comes August, September. The hoe is dull, its handle broken while confronting the raccoon. The can of coyote urine rabbit repellent lays empty. The herd of deer that cross the fence have munched the green beans and charred to stubble. The corn tasseled at three feet and whiskered its little nubbins at three inches. The dog has snuggled itself a fragrant home in the thicket of bushy herbs. The melon vines are encroaching, strangling the tomatoes. The ground beneath this wilderness, which requires a machete to penetrate, is swelling and groaning in the throes of potato birth. Neighbors report a panther slinking through the undergrowth. In autumn, we frequent farmers' markets and the produce section of the IGA. Thank you, Keith. And now, Jeff Foster's interview with Scott Freed, a winner of the 2010 Blooming Tunes Songwriters Contest. And I believe he's going to be playing the winning tune called Never. This is Jeff Foster with the Brown County Hour, here today in beautiful Nashville, Indiana, at our BCH studios with Scott Freed a Nashville-based singer-songwriter who will be one of the featured singer-songwriters at the upcoming Blooming Tunes concert and uh, CD project. The concert is Sunday, October 17th, 3 to 6 p.m. at the Buskirk Chumley Theater in Bloomington, Indiana. 
Welcome, Scott. How are you doing today? Hey there, Jeff. Ah, great. Thank you. Let's start with some background. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you give us a little bit of uh, your musical history? Where were you born? How did you get into music? And uh, how did you end up in uh, Brown County? Okay, well, let's see if we can wind that up into 20 words or less. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. I was born over in Danville, Illinois. I graduated from high school there. Uh, and actually, that's the first songwriting competition that I ever won was my... Uh, was my uh, high school uh, senior class song that uh, was voted on by the class, and oh, so cool. it got me started on some sort of a uh, of songwriting uh, competition thing that has continued through the years. Uh, but then, uh, of course, uh, graduated, uh, moved to California, uh, family, and uh, out there, and daughters, and a lot of music over the years. And uh, at some point there. About seven years ago, I ended up back here in the, the Midwest, and I knew that I wanted to move to uh, one of the most beautiful places uh, in Indiana, and I'd always heard that was Brown County, so that's where I came. Scott, tell us about the tune uh, that's going to be on the Blooming Tunes uh, CD and um, and that you'll uh, be performing live, right, at, uh, at the Buskirk Chamber? Yeah, yeah. Um, never. That song um, has to do with what seems like near impossibilities and i don't know if i can say much more about it than that it's just some things seem like they're practically impossible and that's what it focuses on well here is scott freed performing never from the 2010 blooming tunes songwriter showcase cd project
about you, but I think I'm going to be at the Buskirk Chumley tomorrow night to catch that show, because that was a very nice tune. Now we have another tasty little treat from Gunther Flum. This one's called The Candy Nappers. Why, it was Halloween, you know, the time I saw the UFO hovering over our hometown, then kidnap every kid around, and then replace them on the street right beside their parents' feet, and not a one knew they was snatched until their evil plot was hatched. Now, Halloween's just like before. They go from house and door to door, but them new kids found this excuse they stylized as child abuse and found themselves a legal right to trick-or-treat on every night, or else they'll cry and make a scene if every night ain't Halloween. Now, all them parents, I can tell them alien kids got in a spell. Why, you can see it in their eyes. They've got their parents hypnotized. So like a zombie, parents do whatever children tell them to. And so much goodies come and go. You'd think we'd have an overflow, but all them kids give dad the slip and take it to their mothership. So all the parents are a mess, and so I have a strange request that any chocolate you can spare, candies, cookies, I don't care, toffee, taffy, pies, or cake, any sweet thing you can make, please box them up and without fear, just pay the postage, send them here, and feel assured in your belief that you have sent our kids relief. But since our town's in such distress, just mail it to my home address. No matter what or who it's from, just send it care of Gunther Flum. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this installment of the Brown County Hour and our fall extravaganza. We'd like to thank the correspondents that we've had in the show tonight. Pete Siebert, Susan Showalter, Kaylee Witt, Pam Rader, Jeff Foster. Our resident poets are Keith Kelly, Gunther Flum, and Tricia Bach. The Brown County Hour's associate producers are Jeff Quick and Rick Fettig. The managing producer is Pam Rader. The technical producer and webmaster is Jeff Foster. And the executive producer is Chad Carruthers of WFHB. And we'd like to extend a special thanks to the Brown County Historical Society and Traditional Arts Center. And we'd like to give a pat on the back to our buddy Slats Klug for providing the theme music for this evening's show. This is your friend Frank Jones signing off until next time. And don't forget, if we don't see you in the future, we'll see you in the pasture. Watch where you step. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home. Brown County home.